We, we just listened today that people doubt in everything the Bible says, right? Two years ago, there was a, an article in French magazine saying, the title of the article was, Do not wait for Jesus, he will not return. He fears that if he returns, they will crucify him again. How foolish. But this is not new. Look, Paul, what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word will be diminishing any word in the Bible. The word will not understand the cross, but our text today will take us again to the scene of the cross. Let's go and open our Bible to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. The scene right before the cross, Jesus before Pilate. I'm amazed by the action of this scene. As a kid growing up, looking at the scene, asking myself, between the Jewish religious leaders, Pilate and Jesus, who is the weakest? Who is the weakest? Who is leading all the scene? Who is achieving his purpose in the scene? Who is the most satisfied when all these events are done? Is it the Jews? Is it Pilate? Or is it Jesus? Who is the most satisfied? Well, before going to the chapter 19, let's see what just happened right before chapter 19. Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples. Then they went to Gethsemane. Jesus was praying, his disciples sleeping. Judas came with the soldier and the Jewish leaders. He kissed him. They arrested him. They took him to Annas, the former high priest. Then they took him to Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. After he confessed that he is the son of God, they brought Jesus to Pilate. Pilate questioned Jesus and found no guilt in him. He knew that he is from Galilee, so he sent him to Herod. Herod mocked him and uh, then found no guilt in him, sent him back to Pilate. And now we come to chapter 19, Jesus standing again before Pilate. In chapter 19, verses 1 to 19, we witness three distinct personalities. Three distinct personalities obeying the ultimate will of God, while two of them do so unwillingly. The third one does it voluntarily, teaching us how to trust and obey the will of the one who is sovereign and holds everything in his hands. Let's read together John 19, starting verse 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I found no guilt in him. Jesus then came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made effort to release him. But the Jews crying out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried, cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the, pal the place of skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. This is the very word of our Lord God. So again, in this portion of the scripture, we witness three distinct personalities obeying the ultimate will of God. The first protagonist is the corrupt religious leaders. Second is the uncertain political leader. Third is the willingly obedient servant. Let's go to the first group, the corrupt religious leader. Let's see how unwillingly this group was obeying the ultimate will of God. Well, you might say, how you are saying unwillingly? They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to be Uh, gone but, um, among us, uh, among them. They did what they wanted. They brought Jesus to Pilate to be killed, right? And we just read in verse 16, so he, Pilate, then handed him over to them. In verse 17, they took Jesus. Verse 18, they crucified him. So they succeeded. They did what they wanted. 
How are you saying that unwillingly? Well, he was crucified not because they wanted, but because this is God's plan. It was his way, it was his timing, and it was for his purpose. Let's see how God accomplished these three elements against the will of the religious leaders. Let's see first how Jesus died in God's way. So for those who are taking notes, if you want, you can name it 1.1. He died in God's way. If we go back to uh, John 19, 5 through 7, we can start from verse 6. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him, for I found no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. What does this law say? Well, in Leviticus 24:16, it is written, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Excellent. All right. Good. They are trying to apply the law. This is good. Let's see how did Jesus blaspheme. In John 5, 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In John 10:33, the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Same thing in Matthew 26, 63. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, here, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the cloud of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witness? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. So in their perspective, they have an obvious reason to put Jesus to death. He is making himself the son of God and equal to God. Let's apply the law. So how a blasphemer should be condemned? The same verse in Leviticus twenty-four sixteen it says, All the congregation shall certainly stone him. Well, wait. You're saying that you want to apply the law, right? Why are you asking Pilate to crucify him? Why are you not asking him to stone him? Who is not applying the law now? Even when they have given the permission to kill him in the way that the law dictate, they refused. Look in 1831, John 1831. So Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him, judge him according to your law. As if Pilate is saying, go stone him, burn him, throw him, do whatever you want. Do it yourself. I give you permission. But look what they said. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Why? 
to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. The fact is not about applying the law, but accomplishing God's will. Jesus will not be stoned because he is not a blasphemer. But Jesus will certainly die because he is accomplishing God's plan of salvation. He did not blaspheme. He is indeed the Son of God. He is truly God and he is truly man. In Matthew 20, verse 18, Jesus already predicted by what kind of death he is about to die. Talking with his disciple, verse 18, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand over to the Gentiles to mock, scourge, and crucify him. John 3.14, Jesus speaking, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus will not be put down on the ground and be stoned, but he will be lifted up and he will be crucified. Now we'll move on to the second way that God accomplished his will through the religious leaders. Jesus will not only die in God's way, but also he will die in God's timing. So 1.2, he died in God's timing. Throughout the four Gospels, even when Jesus was still a baby, we see many attempt to kill him, but none succeeded. Matthew 2.13, the angel talking with Joseph, get up, take the child as Jesus and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. Why? For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. He's still a baby. Luke, uh, Luke 4.28, and all the people in the synagogue, were filled with rage, and as they heard, as they as sorry, as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Maybe this is the right way to kill a blasphemer, but Jesus was not. James eight. Uh, John 8:59 Therefore they picked up stone to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple None of these were the right way to kill Jesus because he is not a blasphemer But guess what when they decided not to kill him God said this is the right timing and perfect moment for Jesus' sacrificial death. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival. Otherwise, a riot might occur among the people. Look, we still want to kill him, but not now. It is not now, wise now to kill him. Let's wait, and after the festival, we'll kill him. 
It seems like a good plan, right? Why not now? Because during the festival, a massive crowd will come to Jerusalem. And for sure, there will be a lot of people from those who like Jesus. So this will create a problem between the Jews. And so they decided, let's wait. Let's wait. The, peop- uh, the festival will end. People will go home and then will kill him. Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. You know what Jesus was saying just two verses? Go to verse 1. Matthew 26.1. Jesus saying, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, The Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. What? They said they don't want to kill you now. Jesus is saying, in two days. And you know what happened? This meeting was Wednesday night. On Thursday night, they came and took him. Friday morning, they took him to Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate. Herod, then Pilate again. They scourged him. They took him to Golgotha. They crucified him. He died. Then Joseph took permission from Pilate to bury him. He buried him. All these were yet before the festival. When they said it's not the good timing, God said, this is the timing. This is the timing. Romans 5, 6, Paul writes, For while we're still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No one can stop his plan. Lamentation 3, 37. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded? What a great reminder. What a great reminder. Feeling worried about something? Are you in pain? Are you anxious? Praying and waiting, but things are not changing? Are you surprised or wondering why these happening in your life right now? Remember God's in charge, and he knows the right timing. He's holding everything together. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Right? Jerry Bridges wrote that which should distinguish the suffering of believers and unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering is under the control of an all-power and all-loving God. Our suffering has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan. And he brings or allows to come into our lives only that which is for his glory and our good. Our God is in control. Now we'll move to the third way that God accomplished his will through the religious leaders. Jesus will not only die in God's way and in God's timing, but also for his own purpose. So 1.3, he died for God's purpose. What was his charge? That he made himself out to be the son of God, right? So usually this charge should be written on an inscription and the, poor, and the person being punished would carry it on until the crucifixion. 
And we see that they didn't succeed to kill Jesus for this reason. What Pilate wrote on the inscription was that Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews. They went to him. Do not try the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So they were not happy of Pilate's degree. And eventually, it is true. He didn't die because he made himself the son of God, but rather he died because he is the son of God. And no one can change this. And this is the son of God that Isaiah prophesied about him. In Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder. This is the king of the Jews. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Yes, Jesus died and the Jewish leader led the action of this event, but our sovereign God was keen to complete his will in the right way and the right timing and for the right purpose. We just saw how the religious leader accomplished God's will unwillingly. Let's move on to Pilate and to see how he is, in his term, accomplishing God's will. During my undergrad years, I attended a film school, and during the classes, we have the, the, the teacher emphasized on the writing classes. So to write a good scenario and a good story, you have to build characters. And for a good story, your characters should be built up in a way that every action they will do, they will reflect their behavior and the things that they used to do it. In a way, for instance, if we were placing James Bond, you know James Bond, right? You're evangelical, but you know James Bond. (laughs) James Bond and Mr. Bean, right? Two different characters. (laughs) If we put them in a comparable situation, the writer would need to develop the story progression according to each character's typical behavior and actions, right? So we should anticipate James Bond to respond as a sharp, courageous, secret angel, right? On the other side, we would expect Mr. Bean to react as a naive and somehow foolish individual. We accept both of them precisely because these characters have been presented to us in a manner from the beginning of the story. For any foolishness that fits Mr. Beale will not be suitable for James Bond. And any sharp behavior that fits Bond will not be suitable for Mr. Bean. If we come and observe the scene, we see that Pilate and Jesus, both of them and their attitude are not as we are used to see them. Let's start with Pilate. How can a Roman governor, the one responsible for all aspects of the Roman administration of the province, the head of the judicial system, who has a power even to execute, 
someone who shows no concern for either the Jewish religion or their law. The one who used to fund the construction and the infrastructure in Jerusalem from the temple treasury. The one who killed Galileans worshiper while offering sacrifice in the temple. How can this man suddenly became so disturbed, afraid, uncertain, and controlled by Jewish leader? Come on, Pilate, do something. It is your job. Do something. Decide what you want. Do you want to kill Jesus? Fine, kill him. He's just another Jew. Kill him. Are you afraid from your position? So don't kill him. Send this this man back home. Investigate with uh, Jesus and send him home. And you'll be done with this matter. But he was so confused. We see him in all the scene, afraid. Even to the degree that he asked the Jews to take his responsibility. Go with me to 18.31. John 18.31. He is asking the Jews, take him yourself and judge him. He is the one who should judge. Now he is asking the Jews, Take him yourself and judge him. 19.6, he is asking, take him yourself and crucify him. This is your job. Do something, Pilate. Also, we see him going in and out from the praetorium, confused, going out to try to convince the religious leaders, going in, trying to investigate with Jesus without coming to any solution. And then we see that in 1912, Pilate made efforts to release him. He was not able to take an easy decision. Furthermore, we see him afraid when Jesus answered him. He tried to release him. He tried to come with solutions, with foolish solutions. Look, the first one, in 1839, he comes to the Jews with a solution to release him. Wait, how, how, how can you say this? They are doing all this mess to kill him. You come and you ask him, do you want me to release him for you? Look what he said, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? As if he's doing a favor with them. And then he comes up with a different kind of solution. In, in Luke 23, 14, it is written, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor Herod, he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserved death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. He punished the judge of all the earth by scourging him. Why? Because he didn't have any solution for this matter. He decided just to punish him unless the Jews will accept him again. Why he was confused? Because as the head of the judicial system, he can't condemn Jesus without genuine accusation. 
At the same time, he's not sure if Jesus as the king will be a real threat to Caesar. Moreover, Jesus' respond to him in verse 18, uh, 11 was threatening to him by saying, you have no authority over me. And on the top of that, he got a message from his wife. And you know when you got a message from your wife, right? <laughs> it's something different. She was saying while he was sitting on the judgment, have nothing to do with that re- religious man, righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. In a pagan nation, when someone dreams something bad, it is something important and should not be neglected. Based on Pilate's legal position, he should have released Jesus because he is without charge, or at least investigate more with him. And he should send the crowd home because it is not the right timing to discuss this matter Friday morning. And this, the start of a new season, a festival season, everything should be calm in the city. But even Pilate knew that Jesus was blameless, and that because of envy they handed him over, and that this man is not like other men, he could not stop the Jews from crucifying him. Because this is not only their desire, but also God's plan of salvation. No one can stop his plan. And notice the change of tune, or tune, right after Jesus' crucifixion. Suddenly, his Roman governor tone come back. The chief priest come, come to, the, to him in verse 19-21. Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Listen what he answered. What I, I have written, I have written. This should be the pattern all along the whole scene. But suddenly, after he's, they crucified him, Now he is back to his character. What I have written, I have written. The same thing happened the next day. Matthew 27. The chief priest came to Pilate saying, Give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciple may come and steal him away and and say the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. Sharp. It is a bit too late, Mr. Pilate, right? But this is God's plan. We should never forget forget that the scourge and Pilate's decree of for crucifixion were not accidental. Even though they were unjust for Jesus, They were part of fulfilling numerous prophecies. It is important to remember and rejoice with the fact that not only God is in charge and know the right timing, but also he make his promises. No rulers, no king or religious leader can stop him fulfilling his promises. He promised that he will send his servant to save us. In Isaiah 53, 5, 6, But he was pierced 
through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isn't it amazing? And this was fulfilled and no one could stop him. While we saw two groups that unwillingly accepted God's plan and accomplished God's plan, we arrived to the third, the one who voluntarily obeyed God's will. We'll call this section the willing, obedient servant. We stand before a man, not guilty, but yet condemned. Condemned for saying the truth. We stand before the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominion, rulers, authority, all things have been created through him and for him. This is the one by whom are all things. This is the one whom the Father loves. This is the Son, the Beloved One, in whom God the Father is well pleased. This is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. This is the Servant, the Chosen One, the One who will bring forth justice to the whole nation. He was unjustly judged. How could this happen to him? Was this by mistake? Can you imagine the very same person that all these verses we're talking about now standing helpless before Pilate? Think about it just for one moment. All the pain just for that moment and we didn't arrive yet to the crucifixion. He's blooding and yet he's doing nothing. Silent. Can you picture the number of people watching this happening and left disappointed? Those who had witnessed his miracle, those who had heard his teaching and became convinced by his words, and those who built hopes in the kingdom that Jesus promised of. Are you imagining Lazarus looking at Jesus? The one who brought him back to life after four days now is standing powerless, oppressed, mocked. Or the royal official whom Jesus healed his son from distance. Or the man with leprosy, the one who Jesus just touched him and he was healed. Or the, his disciples, the one who were with him in the boat when they saw him standing up and rebuking the wind, the waves. It is possible that all these people were eagerly waiting to see what would happen. When, when will he use his power and take revenge? When he will do something? From the other side, we can see also the people that didn't accept his charge. Those who refused him. They could have been saying, did he run out of strength? Did he forget his magical word? 
Do something, Jesus. Show us. Show us your power. And eventually, this is what they were saying. If we go to Matthew 27, verse 39, they were standing before him, him crucified. Who you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come. Come down from the cross. Luke 23, 39. The criminal behind him, uh, next to him, was saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. They wanted him to do something. They are asking for miracle merely to satisfy their own desires. But our Savior was there and seeing the whole scene from a different perspective. Listen what George Bernard amazingly wrote. On a hill far away stood an old dropped cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old dark cross, so despised by the word, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So Jesus, for his part, in doing nothing, in doing nothing visible, he was submitting himself willingly to the will of the Father. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Describing this in Philippians 2, 6. Talking about Jesus, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus said, I am the, the good shepherd, The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. No one has taken it away from me. I lay down on my own initiative. He did not just doing this willingly, but as the writer of Hebrews writes, that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy of he did this joyfully. He did this despite the shame to save sinners like me and you. Let's go back to the first question we have asked. Who is the leading role of the scene? Who is achieving his purpose? Who is the most pleased when all these events are done? Is it the chief priest? Well, no. Nothing shows that after Pilate's decree, they were content. They didn't like the inscription. They were afraid from his resurrection. They sent people to stand before the, uh, the tomb. Even after his resurrection and his ascension, they were in Acts 4, 1 and 2, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the death. So even the disciples of Jesus made, them, made their life hard. Well, if not the Jewish leader, is it Pilate? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Pilate. But for sure, this compromise didn't make his relation 
with the Jews better. And we know from history that few years later, he was removed from his position and exiled. And some suggest that he took his life on exile. Is it Jesus? Well, the Apostle John wrote in the opening of his gospel in John 1, 11, saying that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. His own people, the Jews, refused him. In his exposition, Pastor John, for Isaiah 53, he states, The Jews never thought that they need a savior from their sins. They thought only they need a savior from their circumstances, enemies, and suffering. They didn't understand that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, before he appears as a reigning king, he will be a suffering king. He will suffer not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. The man's scourge with, with the crown of thorns on, and the purple robe, Pilate presented him as, Behold the man. A parallel of this word and this language was by John the Baptist at the first of the Gospel of John. We see him saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who is prophesied by Isaiah that will come and save people. Well, why all this? Why he was silent? Why he didn't prove his power on that time? Because he was obeying God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This God is a holy God. And a perfect God who created Adam in his image. But Adam violated his command. And he disobeyed him. And Adam stand guilty and sinful before God. Sin, and sin entered the world and death through sin. So all men now are born with sin. But God demonstrated his love to sinner. He exposed his grace and mercy when he was revealed in the flesh by his only begotten son. God the Father, in his justice, made his son Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf by dying on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. Jesus' death was not the end. On the third day, Jesus defeated death, he rose from the grave, and he is now living. This salvation is a gift from God. It is not by work, it is by faith alone. But there is a demand for it. You should repent and you should believe that the Lord Jesus is Lord. Men should confess that he is sinner and he needs the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. On that way, we can be his own people. In that way, we had reconciliation with God the Father. Until the day that we meet with him, as he promised, where there is no sin, no tears, no pain, no death. On that day, we will be glorified also with him. So now, can you see why Jesus was silent? Can you see why Jesus didn't smash all these people or didn't disappear? 
He did this, obeying God the Father, accomplishing a saving plan. To, to bring Lazarus from death after four days is useless if he will not be able to save Lazarus from his sins. All the sick, the blind, the possessed people needed his obedience, his death, and the resurrection more than any miracle. Please listen. We were saying, we were asking Pilate to do something and Jesus to do something. Now I ask you, you should do something. It is your turn now to do something. If you are not believing that the work of Jesus Christ is enough for you to save you, you should do something now. You should believe that you were not able to come to God without Jesus Christ. This is the only way. This is the only way. You should repent now. You should trust in him. You should go back and ask forgiveness. Please do not wait. This is a time that you can confess and Jesus promised that the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. As for you, brother and sister, those the, the grace of God was poured out and saved you and saved me. Let's rejoice in what Jesus did on that day. Let us thank him that he didn't run away. Let us thank him, thank him that he didn't disappear because he did this for you and me. Remember that now we are adopted. We are sons of the Most High. We can call the Father, Abba Father. And to return to our beginning and the article and the title, they said, do not wait for Jesus. He will not return. He fears that if he returns, they will crucify him again. Well, when he came the first time, he wasn't surprised. He knew, and he was doing this voluntarily. He was doing this joyfully, and he was doing this obeying God the Father. And you know what? He will come again. He will come again at the right time in his own way. And guess what? He's coming back as a king and as a judge. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that you didn't escape. We thank you that you didn't hide We thank you for your incarnation and we thank you that you became man to save sinners like me. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your sacrifice. We come before you asking you that to open the heart of those who didn't know you yet those who didn't experience your salvation yet. We ask you, Lord, that you forgive us every time we, we forgot 
what you have done for us. We forgot that you are in control, that no one can stop your plan. Thank you for your sovereign hand. Thank you that you are taking care of us in every single detail. We love you, we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.